welcome to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. This podcast is devoted to helping increase your daily exposure to God's Word with a short scripture reading and brief commentary on key ideas, themes, and theology in each chapter. Now please join your host, Dave Jenkins, for today's episode. Well, welcome back to the Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this show. And today is February 14th, and today we're going to look at Genesis 45. Just as a reminder, every day I read from one chapter of God's Word. So today we're going to read from uh, Genesis 45. And then I offer a very brief explanation of key ideas, themes, and theology in about five to ten minutes, because that's really what my goal is, is to get you into God's Word for about five to twenty minutes every day. So let's take a look now at Genesis 45. Genesis 45 says this, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, Make everyone go out from me. And so no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. And so Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all this his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry up and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is with my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt, of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. And then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. And when the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go to the land of Canaan. And take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt. And you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives. And bring your father and come. Have no concern for your good for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for their journey. To each and all of them he gave the change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. 
And to his father he sent as follows, ten donkeys loaded with the goods of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. And he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, Do not quarrel on the way. And so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is the ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent him to carry, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. This is the reading of God's word from Genesis 45 today. Now, as we consider Judah's response to Joseph's offer to keep Benjamin and let the rest of them go free, we must understand that Judah's speech represents the thoughts of all the brothers in Genesis 44, 14 through 34. You see, in their plea to preserve the youngest son, they show their refusal to treat Benjamin like they did Joseph in chapter 37. And here we see comparison and solidarity, qualities necessary for any nation's survival. In fact, the brother's repentance shows that they are the seed of the woman and not the serpent's offspring as we see in Genesis 3.15. Those sinners, Jacob's sons, have heeded the call of the Spirit to love their brother, as you see in 1 John 3, 4-10, and have demonstrated they are God's true people, Israel. And now, with the transformation of their lives now proven before him, Joseph can no longer contain himself. His tender heart, previously hidden behind the facade of a distrustful Egyptian rule leader, is now revealed to his brothers as he weeps with such passion that the entire nation can hear him. And, and he dismisses his attendants so that he can meet privately with his brothers and not embarrass them with the public revelation of his past sins, as we see in verse 1. And he is eager to hear about his father, as we see in verse 3 of our chapter today. Judah's description of Jacob's emotional state in Genesis 44:22 has evidently made Joseph suspect that his father is near death. And from the perspective of his brothers, it's hard to imagine how Joseph's tears could actually be tears of joy and forgiveness, as the rest of Genesis 45 describes. In fact, many readers might even be disappointed to find Joseph's harsh words to his brothers in the preceding verses do not blossom into full-scale revenge. And yet, God does not act according to the preferences of his rebellious creatures. Those who love him forgive their enemies freely, as we see in Matthew 18, 21 through 35 and joseph loves the lord deeply now scripture teaches that we must forgive repentant sinners even for the most heinous of offenses harsh words or church discipline may be necessary if the offender is obstinate and rebellious yet as john calvin comments on genesis 45 3 as soon as the offender lies prostrate and trembles under the sense of his sin let that moderation immediately follow, which may raise him who is cast down by hope of pardon. Now, we must say that forgiveness is not optional for the Christian. In fact, one of the assumptions of the Lord's Prayer is that we must be forgiving people if we would dare to ask the Lord to forgive us ourselves in Luke eleven four. And we cannot legitimately expect to be forgiven by God if we do not forgive others. For those who do not forgive have not received the grace of God, as we see in Mark eleven twenty five and 1 John 4, 7-8. 
please forgive today that person against whom you've been holding a grudge or hold bitterness against. Now, trying to shift blame from ourselves to another person, we have to be honest, is an all too common practice. Whether it is an extreme case such as the Nazis on trial after World War II who, who said they were only following orders or a less heinous situation such as a young child saying that his brother made him steal a pack of gum. All people like to point the finger when they're caught in sin. And now Jacob's sons knew the truth about what really happened to Joseph would have to come out at once they were charged with telling their father the good news that Joseph had not died. Now remember that Jacob's sons lied to him after Joseph was sold into slavery, telling him that fierce animal had slaughtered their brother in Genesis 37, 31 through 35. And so to explain why Joseph was still alive would necessitate a full revelation of their betrayal. And though all except Benjamin were guilty of this crime on some level, the tendency to shift blame would create opportunities for the brothers to even accuse one another of responsibility in hopes of being less uh, culpable for their acts. Now, Joseph moves to prevent this arguing in our chapter today. First, he moves to assure them that there is no need to blame one another through the gift of a change of clothes in Genesis 45:22. The clothing each brother receives is an outer garment that also served as a blanket. In other words, it is a tunic recalling the coat of many colors that helped prompt the brother's jealousy of Joseph in chapter 37. And by this gift, Joseph gives further proof of his forgiveness and reconciliation, for special coats can now be given without any worry of inciting strife. In fact, more important are Joseph's instructions for their brothers not to quarrel. For the first time in decades, Jacob's sons are at peace with one another, and nothing must trouble this accord. Today, we must heed these words as well and avoid foolish arguing, not only over blame, but over relatively minor matters as well, as Romans 14.1 says. John Calvin says, we ought to imitate this kindness of Joseph that we may prevent as much as possible quarrels and strifes of words for Christ requires of his disciples, not only that they should be lovers of peace, but also that they should be peacemakers. Matthew Henry writes, we are guilty, truly guilty, and instead of quarreling with one another, have a great deal of reason to quarrel with ourselves. You see, it does us no good to blame others involved when we must open up about our own misdeeds. We should just humbly admit our sin and ask for pardon. Let us also take care not to major on the minors and make relatively minor theological positions a litmus test for fellowship in our local churches. Now, Scripture depicts God taking a dramatic step to reveal the path his people must take. This is evident in the life of Joseph, who was brought into authority over Egypt through unexpected and miraculous measures. Despite the efforts of his brothers in Genesis 37, 12 through 36, Potiphar's wife and others in chapter 39, Joseph's dreams did come true, indicating divine uh, providence in his life, as we see in Genesis 37, 5 through 11 and Genesis 44, 14. Now, all of this was done to save many lives, as we see in Genesis 45, 7, and even convinced Jacob and his sons to move to Egypt. 
Now, Jacob grew up hearing of the great meeting his fathers had with the Lord, wherein he repeatedly stressed that Canaan would be the inheritance of his chosen people. God also told Jacob the very same thing. So it would be hard for him to believe it was God's will for him to leave Canaan and dwell in the land of the Nile, even if the Lord alluded to this when he spoke to Abraham in Genesis 15, 12 through 16. The proof of divine providence in Joseph's life showed his father that he was God's man and that his kin must thereby obey his instructions to come to Egypt as we see in Genesis 45, 4-15. Living in the land of the Nile was advantageous because it led to the revelation of the Lord's glory in the Exodus as we see in Exodus 6, 6-8. And it further enabled Jacob's family to multiply and maintain its distinct identity. Assimilation was an ever-present danger in Canaan, as we saw in Genesis 34. But the opportunity to join with the surrounding pagans was lessened once the family was an alien subculture in Egypt, as we'll see tomorrow in Genesis 46, 28-34. Now, Jacob cannot believe that Joseph is still alive at first, but he's soon convinced in verses 25 through 27 of our chapter today. Now, notice with me how Moses tells us that Jacob's spirit was revived once he believed the report of his sons in verse 27 of our chapter. In fact, this is good news, for the spirit is viewed in scripture as a source of light. Jacob has lived as a dead man for decades, but knowing that Joseph is alive brings him back to life. Now, to be convinced to go to Egypt, Jacob had to discern the providence that brought Joseph to power. Today, we have better a better guide for discerning God's will than Jacob did, the complete word of God by which we are to interpret reality. Now, it's not uncommon to hear people say that they wished they lived during biblical times. Many people even think uh, seeing the same mighty acts the saints of old saw would enable them to have a stronger faith in the Lord. But we live in a far better situation than the heroes of biblical history did. We have the full canon of the word of God in our possession, a treasure most of them lacked. This inerrant and infallible word is our most trustworthy guide, and we must not fail to study it. Now, the tears and the embraces that marked Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers in Genesis 45, 14 through 15, it followed his urgent plea for his entire family to leave Canaan and even settle in Egypt where they would be spared from the effects of this seven-year famine as we see in verses 4 through 13 of our chapter today. Specifically, the sons of Israel would be permitted to dwell in Goshen, a fertile area located in northeastern Egypt. This was an exceedingly desirable country. In fact, herdsmen from as far away in Egypt as a city of thieves would annually send their flocks to Goshen for grazing a distance of approximately 300 miles. Not only was Jacob's family rescued from starvation and poverty, they were given some of the very best that the land of the Nile had to offer. Now, in our chapter today, Pharaoh puts a seal of approval on Joseph's offer and gives the brothers the, the means to transport their families to his land. The king of Egypt is pleased to do this in verse 16 of our chapter today, for his faithful Hebrew vice regent has saved his country and his people. And as God promised, the seed of Abraham has blessed the nations in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Pharaoh, who has benefited because he blessed this seed, a.k.a. Joseph, in Genesis 41, 37 through 45, wisely chooses to bless the rest of the Lord's chosen. 
Now Pharaoh's blessing on Jacob's sons and the consequent favor the Lord showed him in Genesis 47:20. It's an important fulfillment of God's pledge to Abraham and was especially important for the original readers of Genesis to see. This audience lived in Egypt under the rule of a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph and who cursed Jacob's sons with slavery in Exodus 1, 8 through 14. These readers, who were also the children of Abraham, could look to Genesis and understand that their slavery would not last forever. And since God blessed those who blessed Abraham's seed in Joseph's day, the Israelites could see that he would certainly curse the Pharaoh who persecuted them centuries later. Now, likewise, we who are Abraham's seed in Christ, as Galatians 3.29 says, can be confident today that the Lord will one day bless those who bless us and curse those who cursed us. This should motivate us to be a blessing to other Christians, other sons of Abraham, for if we bless them, our own blessing and our own reward will be that much greater. Now, in Galatians 6.10, Paul tells us to do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, if those who bless Abraham's seed will be blessed, as Genesis 12, 1-3 says, then we can expect the Lord to be pleased with us if we show favor to others, especially believers. All of us should seek to serve others, so please find a way to meet the needs of others in your local church, perhaps through encouraging words or by providing a meal with a struggling cup to a struggling couple. Now, Joseph could not contain his joy once he was sure of his brother's repentance, but they had the opposite reaction when the sternness of his demeanor vanished and he began to cry in Genesis 45, 1-2. And being dismayed at his presence, they could say nothing, probably because they thought he would take vengeance upon them. Now, of course, we know this wasn't his intent, as is plain in our chapter today. You see, seeing how Judah and the others are reacting, Joseph reassures them of his forgiveness in verses 4 through 8 of our chapter today. Joseph's words are some of the most important and even extensive in all of the word of God on the relationship between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. He refers here to the Lord's activity and intent in his travails four times, affirming his belief in God's providential governing of history. In fact, in reality, his confidence in the Creator's sovereignty is one factor enabling Joseph to forgive his brothers. In hindsight, he is able to see God's invisible hand of providence. Thus, there's no place for revenge since Joseph knows the Lord used his years of suffering for his good redemptive plan. God used the wicked act of his brothers to advance his will, despite their ignorance. And now, once more, we see the central theme of Joseph's life, namely that God's providential rule uses evil, but only for his good ends. His sovereignty is so encompassing that Joseph can even tell his brothers, in verse 8, if it was not you who sent me here, but God. We must be careful here to note that the brothers are still liable for their sin as Joseph later reminds them of their evil intent in Genesis 50-20. All Joseph's mean to say is that the Lord's will, not man's, is ultimate. In all that occurs, God is able to work to make his desires for creation go according to his plan. This concurrence or simultaneous working of the Lord and men, good or evil, to bring about God's holy purposes, it's, it's really hard and it's even more difficult to comprehend. But we must always maintain that we are responsible for our sin and that the Almighty remains free from any 
stain or wickedness as we see in James 1.13. John Calvin writes, God acts so far distinctly from them, evil men, that no vice can attach itself to his providence and that his decrees have no affinity with the crimes of men. John Calvin's comments on Genesis 45.8 are essential reading for anyone studying God's sovereignty and human responsibility. Now, there is much that we can say about the Lord's guiltless use of evil men to achieve his good plan, but ultimately this method of acting is secret and far above our understanding, as Calvin says. So do not be surprised if you find this doctrine difficult to understand and do not expect the Lord to fully explain his good use of human wickedness. And any reasonable analysis of the relationship between God's will and man's must conclude that the Lord's specific ways always triumph over those of his creatures. Every time God seems to lose a fight, he is actually advancing his ultimate purpose to redeem his creation. The best example of this truth is the crucifixion of Jesus. Here, the plans of Satan and evil men, though apparently successful at first, were used by the Father to win victory and show forth more of his glory than would otherwise have been possible, as we see in Colossians 2, 13-15. Now, Joseph's brothers learned this lesson the hard way. Forgetting the foolishness of striving against God, they, they tried to thwart the Lord's will, that they bowed to Joseph and even seemed to be winning over him for many years as you see in Genesis 37. And yet they finally fell on their faces before Joseph, as we see in Genesis 44:14, whom God put into authority through their attempt to block Joseph's ascendancy. In fact, they came to see that no purpose of the Lord can be thwarted, as we see in Job 42, 1-2. Now, Jacob's sons also learned that sin has its consequences. God does use the evil machinations of men to advance his will, but cannot be blamed for human transgression, nor is our sin thereby excused. Now, we have already seen how the brothers feared Joseph's show of tyranny and even suffered imprisonment as discipline for their wickedness in Genesis 42, 6-22. Our chapter describes another repercussion that followed inevitably from their betrayal. Now, only Joseph and Benjamin could embrace and even weep with joy at first, since the latter took no part in the evil deeds of his brothers in Genesis 45:14. Joseph had to take the initiative to hug the others, and they did not weep. They must have been stunned to see Joseph alive and likewise struggled to accept his forgiveness. It took time for them to speak freely with one another when they were wronged, as we see in Genesis 45:15. Our sins against other people can make it hard for us to accept their forgiveness. But when others truly forgive us for the wrongs that we have done, let us freely receive their pardon. Likewise, when we forgive others, we must do so with sensitivity, aware that they may have trouble understanding that their relationship with us is restored. You see, Joseph's weeping in our chapter today, it shows how he longed once again to experience fellowship with those who wronged him. One of the marks of sanctification is that we long for broken relationships marred by sin to be restored and for us to be reconciled to the Lord and one another. So we must do all that we can to extend even to those who have sinned against us grossly. And, and as others seek your forgiveness, do what you can to assure them that your pardon is real and avoid bringing up their past offenses against them again and again. 
And though Joseph has has had many low points in his life, the Lord God used uh, the betrayal of his brothers to get Joseph administrative experience in Potiphar's house. And he used the Egyptian prison to get Joseph into Egypt's high court, preparing him to lead the empire safely through a great famine. And even painful and Certuitous was the path on which the Lord's hand of providence took Joseph. But the loss of his many-colored suit led finally to Jacob's favorite son wearing the Egyptian colors of authority. You see, God mercifully included in his plan for Joseph the salvation of those brothers who had done what would have been, apart from divine empowering grace, an unforgivable act. Joseph wanted his relationship with them to be restored from the moment they came to Egypt in search of food. We see this in his demanding that Benjamin be brought before him, and then in his weeping as a result of the overwhelming joy and the love that he had for them in chapters 42 and 44. Now, engaging in an elaborate plan to put the fear of God into his brothers and to even discern whether they still hated their father's favorite son, Joseph finally saw their repentance for all the sins that they committed against him in chapter 44. And this set the stage for Joseph to reveal himself dramatically to his brothers in one of the most ironic episodes of all of history. The man whom the brothers had tried to kill ended up being their savior in chapter 45. Now, few things are lovelier than reconciliation, and Joseph's restoration to his brothers was so incredible that even the strongest king in the world rejoiced to see it in Genesis 45:16, This reconciliation was possible because the brothers were repentant and because Joseph was willing to pardon them, which is instructive for us. And on a human level, when someone sins grievously against us or we sin grievously against one another, forgiveness can be extended. But forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation which requires genuine repentance accompanied by a willingness to do what it takes to make things right. The offending party cannot expect the offended to pretend nothing has happened, but the offended party must accept reconciliation when humble repentance is evident. And as we respond to repentance with reconciliation, we imitate God who in Christ was reconciling the world to himself as 2 Corinthians 5.19 says. We often long for things to to be just as they were before fill-in-the-blank happened in our relationships with other people. If we are the main offending party, we cannot realistically expect this to happen. If our tendency is to sweep the offense under the rug without making an effort to have things be made right. And at the same time, we cannot hold the sins of others against them if they show genuine repentance. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave. My name is Dave, and today is February 14th, and we've looked at Genesis 45. Until tomorrow, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Reading the Bible Daily with Dave podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to also like, subscribe, or follow Servants of Grace on Facebook, Instagram, X, or YouTube. We appreciate your support.